Hello and welcome to the podcast of TechU. I am your host, Andre Degler. In our today's episode, I would like to share with you an interview that I recorded with Shurt Lemhaus, the CEO and co-founder of Owlin. We sat down to talk at the TNW conference earlier this year, and it was a really great conversation. I really think uh, that you all will enjoy it. Let's check it out. Well, my name is Shurt Lemhaus. I'm the founder and CEO of Owlin. For the past 20 years, I've been doing quite a bit. I think I even not graduated uh, less than uh, 20 years ago. So uh, I graduated from uh, Utrecht University. I worked in consulting. And then about, I would say, seven, eight years ago, I founded Aulin. With Aulin, we look at news all over the world. And then we help you highlight any opportunity, any uh, risks and any trends that you see in the market. And we sell that globally to payments companies, to asset managers, to private equity firms, to rating agents. Uh, so basically, we're a fintech specialized in analyzing news and text. Okay, so you actually call yourself a, a fintech now? Yeah, I would say. So for me, a fintech, it's not about what you are. But um, uh, well, what we do, let me say it this way, is really tracking uh, news and, and, and doing uh, stuff with machine learning and AI and natural language processing in specific. But we sell this almost mainly and only to the financial markets. So uh, that's why we call ourselves a fintech. We're an ML uh, AI company, but uh, really for financial markets. And were you always uh, focused on, uh, on the financial markets or did you start more broadly? We did have some non-financial clients in the past. So I think if you take a look at um, when we started with the company, we uh, we were also iterating, uh, pivoting, trying some some areas in uh, which we thought there might be traction. So so back in the days, uh, because we analyzed news, we uh, also worked with journalists to see, hey, can we help you out? But uh, we actually very quickly discovered that uh, the markets where we started uh, and also with the idea how we started in mind was what that we were spot on. And which is the financial sector. But even within the financial sector, it is quite broad. So you have a lot of uh, uh, takes you can go there, right? So you can go after the tracking the listed companies, you can go after the non-listed emerging markets and so on. And I think what happened for us is that uh, as soon as we proceeded with our company, became more aware of where the biggest needs were, uh, which is not for us in the listed domain, because there's a lot of solutions already out there tracking listed companies, right? So people take Bloomberg and Reuters feeds to track the listed universe, but there are not that many solutions out there that are good in tracking non-listed companies or tracking also companies in emerging markets. And that's where we really found our sweet spot. Well, the companies at the bottom of the pyramid, so the big masses, and that's also our technology is extremely suited for that. And that's how we uh, how we grow as well right now. So how many people do you have now working for Allen? We're with 40. The majority is based in Amsterdam. And uh, how much funding have you raised so far? In total, we started Aulin with completely bootstrapped. Uh, we uh, were in the Rockstar Accelerator program in uh, one of the first classes. We had a seed round of finance in Aulin, but eventually we were in a very weird situation that our investor went bust. Uh, so we did not receive the whole funding. We actually also bought out our seed investor. And we did that all because we were bootstrapped and, and making money. And then two years ago, a year and a half ago, we want to go faster and we decided to run a Series A, which was a bit over 3 million euros. So I would say three, three and a half million euros is the funding that we have received so far. Yeah, and actually, I really wanted to, to ask about that story. So, uh, like, what did it actually mean for you? What, what sort of impact uh, did it have on you that your seed investor just went bust uh, in the middle of uh, basically wiring you the money? 
That is extremely, extremely weird because um, when you start a company and as a founder, there are so many reasons and so many things that can go wrong. And there's also, especially in the beginning phase, the small mistakes can cost you your company. And this was so impossible, right? That you, how can, how can your investor go bust? But we managed to work our way through this, uh, but it, it, it did take a lot of energy. So I think energy, I put a lot of energy in making sure that we had a clean cap table again, uh, making sure that we also could grow and that we could, we could get bigger. In the meantime, you also need to close deals, uh, grow your business. And then as a founder, you really need to have a split brain. On one hand, working on the problems of um, yeah, fixing your cap table. Uh, on the other hand, keep your eyes on the ball and just grow your company. Uh, for us, we needed also money to buy out our investors. So that was also a good incentive to close more deals. And it was hard for us to get investors on board uh, because we had issues on the cap table back in those days. And um, eventually it was, uh, I think for the whole team, it really gave a great feeling of connectedness uh, that we also felt, hey, listen, if we can do this, we can do everything. Right. And as far as I remember, you had three co-founders initially, speaking of cap tables, and now you are the only one who's still at the company. So uh, why did the other decide to just uh, stop with it? Yeah, so founding a business requires a special DNA. And I think if you take a look at my two co-founders, they have that DNA. They are true founders. They know how to start a business. They're extremely creative. And I think once you go through certain phases, you also need different skills and different DNA. And I think what we discovered along the way with the three of us was I might have been less good as an initial founder, but I really enjoy all the stages that we go through right now. And uh, for both my two co-founders with uh, whom I started, so Boss and Richard, we actually had a conversation uh, about this saying, hey, they like the start of a company. They enjoy bringing it to the, to the next level and to the next and to the next. Uh, so then we decided all together, they did a good job. They uh, brought Arlene from nothing to a good start and beyond. And uh, they got greatly rewarded for that as well. And they're still on board as an advisor of the company as well, right? So, so it's, um, uh, we didn't really say goodbye forever, but uh, uh, we, uh, we decided to, uh, yeah, split responsibilities, uh, they eventually stepped out. Um, uh, and this, this was eventually good for everyone uh, because then we can all keep on doing what's in, yeah, what we think we are best at. Right, yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And speaking of uh, funding still, I wanted to ask, so the Series A that you mentioned, it's uh, if you look at the um, news uh, cycle, for example, these days, this is a pretty modest Series A, like just, just three and a half million. I, I saw Series A of like uh, 20, 30 million. There was this biggest Series A of, I think, much more than that. So uh, why, uh, why didn't you raise more? I guess you could, right? Yeah, um, I see that as well. Um, and every time when I see these huge investment rounds, I always ask myself, okay, I wonder what the terms and conditions were uh, that uh, that came with that round. Uh, because a lot of lot of people that see investment rounds, they they are impressed by the big numbers, uh, but they sometimes forget that it's not only the money uh, that you're raising and the shares that you sell. Uh, there's also a lot of um, additional terms that you often agree together with the deal. And so to, to mention one is liquidation preferences. Will you give a guaranteed return to your investor or is he just an investor like yourself often what you see is that huge rounds they often have very well 
investor-friendly uh, liquidation preferences and uh, can also be yeah also wanting to have a lot of a lot of a lot of uh, dilution for the for the founders and i think what we we said hey we are bootstrapped we don't need a whole lot of money but we want to go a bit faster to open an office in the us to build a new platform to close more clients so i think to that respect we might be a bit dutch that we uh, said okay let's not raise too much but uh, let's just raise what we need to go uh, to make some uh, some next steps and i think once you have uh, proven your point uh, the, and once once we have the 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 highly scalable formula uh, that uh, everyone is looking for then you can just throw in as much money as you want uh, which is also our intention but i think raising too much in the beginning it could be a strategy but it might not always be the best one so do you still as uh, the three founders uh, do you still own more than half of the company together Oh yeah, definitely. So are you looking for more money now? So have you found this uh, formula that you just need to throw the money at? I would say so, yes. So looking back at at last two years, a lot of things happened, right? So we are business to business SaaS company. What we have seen with the, we had a big lockdown because of the Corona situation. Um, we sell only to big corporates. And what we saw there is all the corporates, they had to reinvent themselves a lot of lot of our clients are we're not used of working from home they all uh, work on terminals from from their from their from their uh, offices physical offices so when the big lockdowns uh, hit the economy all our clients were able and also our prospects were able so there was really hard to uh, to to grow a new business and um, what we saw, right, and also in the whole world, was that if you are, for instance, Zoom or e-commerce, uh, that was immediate, immediate need for everyone to start, uh, start, start buying uh, connectiveness and start buying stuff to make yourself comfortable at home. And a bit later, when everyone was online and people were settled, and I think the first need was uh, was 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 in place that they were not worried about connecting to the office from home anymore. Then you saw a second uh, move, and in our case, it was a lot of. Our clients and also prospects, they realized what just happened in my supply chain and what just happened in my investment portfolio and all these companies uh, around there. And that was for us a, yeah, a big opportunity. So we had a big glitch in the beginning of the lockdowns. Uh, so it was hard for us to do new business sales. But when everyone came back, uh, we see more demand than ever. So I think, uh, and also more urgency uh, in our uh, than ever that people want to know what's going on in their external environment. So are we, did we find the, the formula right now? I think uh, we were a bit helped by the whole pandemic to get a good, good demand. We also see huge demand right now. We also used the Corona period to create our new platform, which is more scalable, which suits better to the to the to the needs of uh, that uh, needs that we identified in the market. So I think we are extremely close right now. Right, and uh, and so uh, you said that you sell uh, to corporate. So who are actually your clients uh, who need this sort of data, and where are they located? Yeah, a lot, lot of people when they hear we analyze news and we identify risk opportunities and trends. They think immediately of, oh, you're probably serve uh, dealing room environments. But the dealing room environments, that's the listed domain. Uh, they rely on Bloomberg feeds, Reuters feeds. And uh, definitely we, we have some dealing room environments. But the majority of our users are investing or, or dependent on smaller companies. So I can give you, we help payments companies, companies like Agen, WorldPay, Checkout.com. And what happens there is if you book a flight, but if the if the flight company goes bust, 
you will get a charge back if you didn't fly yet. So, so you can get your money in return eh, because your the goods was not delivered. The payments companies, they guarantee this. So they will guarantee that you will get your money back. So they need to track not only the bigger airline companies, but also the smaller ones. They need to track uh, all their merchants globally to understand, is there not anyone uh, committing fraud, anyone risking uh, or might go bankrupt? Uh, so, so that's what we do to stabilize the system and also to reduce chargeback risk for the payments uh, firms. Another group that we serve is, uh, these, these are, are the merchants. Another big group that we serve is um, what we saw during the whole pandemic is that a lot of goods and a lot of supply chains didn't work as uh, as expected, right? There were huge delays. Some some suppliers even got into trouble. Uh, some went bust. So there was a whole, like the whole supply chain got, got, got shaken. And we are really good in identifying and following also the smaller parties uh, in emerging markets uh, and abroad. Uh, so we help procurement professionals, and this is a whole world called third-party risk management, on checking how is your supply chain doing? How healthy are your suppliers? Uh, and not only your suppliers, but also the suppliers of your suppliers. And that's also what you see. Uh, it's important not only to track whether they're sustainable in terms of uh, that they will keep on delivering, but also whether they're sustainable in terms of that, that they're not having forced labor or that they're not uh, polluting the environment too much. So we see on one hand financial stability, on the other hand also more yeah, what you would call environment, social and governance, ESG factors as well that we uh, that we track for these companies. And there's a whole group of private equity firms uh, that we also serve uh, because private equity is known for investing in non-listed companies. And what's the issue for listed companies? There's a lot of information always available. Uh, for non-listed, it's way harder and you can go to yeah, to, to different databases where you can find everything uh, like uh, AngelList or Crunchbase. So you can find a lot of information on the startups, but you don't find new product launches, the geographical expansions, uh, all that type of stuff. We also pick up and we track and we help our, our clients to, to identify opportunity in the market as well. But how do you pick it up then if it's not like in the news? If it's not in the news, we won't pick it up. But it does not always live on the uh, on the on the pitch book data or on the uh, on the crunch base data. So there's a whole a lot of information out there that lives in either a local language that uh, people are not tracking. Uh, we we look in a lot of foreign languages. Uh, we also translate foreign languages, uh, which gives you a good lens and a good view of everything which's happening in your in your world. And uh, in terms of geography, where are your clients located? All over the world, basically. And um, we are based in the Netherlands with our headquarters. We have clients in the Netherlands, but two-thirds or a bit more of that of our revenue comes from abroad. And uh, it's uh, the United States, it's the UK, it's Brazil, it's Singapore. And I think we all serve them from our office in Amsterdam. Recently, uh, we actually also opened a office in New York. We wanted to do that earlier, but we postponed that also because of the whole pandemic and the lockdowns. Since two months, we uh, we have physical boots on the ground in the States, and we hired a chief growth officer there uh, who uh, occupies also and is also the, the, the U.S. CEO. Uh, I think within... Within those two months, uh, the the whole office already became a profit center. So that's uh, also uh, fantastic. So what's the big difference between, uh, let's say, clients in Europe and clients in the US and, and the market in general? What do you see? There are quite some differences. And I think uh, what I really see is that in the US, there's a lot of appetite to try stuff. And there's also a lot of mandate to go and to move fast. If I compare the talks that we have in Europe with uh, businesses and also in the US with businesses, 
I would say in Europe, you need uh, way more meetings and you need to talk and not only convince the manager, but then also the boss of the manager. And then you also need to convince the whole team that works for the manager because they are going to work with your tooling. And and when everyone, a polar model, that's, that's it. And when everyone is convinced, then there are some moments where, there, yeah, where there's a yes. And uh, and only one person has to say no. And then it, you then you need to start all over again. Uh, that's kind of the European model. Uh, also the Dutch model. I also see it in the UK. In the US, it's, it's way more top down. So there will be a partner, a manager, director with a certain mandate, with a certain budget. If he likes it, if he wants it, if he wants to close the deal, it's a yes. And then everyone uh, wants to wants to move that direction. So I think in terms of doing business, especially in the B2B environments, it goes way faster in the States than it goes in Europe. But you also need to make sure you deliver fast and that you deliver good. And uh, so if you are a bit not ready for that yet, it's always better to stay and try in, 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 in Europe first. But if you feel, hey, I can deliver fast, I know what I'm doing and I'm up for this market. Uh, it's, it's a huge market, there's a lot of potential. Uh, it operates really, really fast. Uh, and if you can keep up with the pace, it's a great, uh, great growth market as well. And what's the competition like for you, both in Europe and in the US? I would say competition for us uh, has always been global. So there are not really, there in the Netherlands, no players with whom we compare ourselves. There are definitely global players with whom we compare ourselves. And um, what we see is in the States, they often know the players, uh, they know the markets. Uh, in, in, in Europe, some, in some occasions they do, uh, in some occasions they don't. So I think it's a better informed market maybe in the States, uh, also a faster moving market. Uh, so I think as an entrepreneur, it is more fun to work, operate in that type of uh, environment. And do you actually think that you compete with the Bloombergs and Reuters of the world or is it uh, other companies? Yeah, I think uh, everyone knows the Bloombergs and the Reuters. Um, and to we, I know there has been articles about Aulin in the past, uh, putting us in the, in the, in the, in the context of, Hey, this small company competes with Bloomberg and Reuters. They think they can do better. And I will, I will, I will be honest in this podcast. I don't think we are competing with Bloomberg and Reuters um, because we have different technology stack. Uh, we have different USPs, which uh, which actually we are partnering with Bloomberg at this moment. We have uh, uh, Reuters. They uh, the data business of Reuters is branded as Refinitiv. Uh, they are a client of ours. So um, uh, so it is. They are not competitors. They are more partners. Uh, we compete more with other companies that excel in natural language processing, that uh, excel in news analytics, that excel in identifying risk in supply chains or in your investment portfolio. And I think only for the very specific parts, which is the the, the, the the big companies in the listed universe, yeah, then we would compete with Bloomberg. But we don't focus on those type of companies uh, because it, our edge is more on the on the bottom of the pyramid, all the small non-listed companies uh, that are needed to be tracked as well. And this is this is really interesting. So uh, before we, we finish, I wanted actually to go back to like, the very moment that you uh, founded uh, the company. I was just listening to another talk here at TNW conference. So what did you actually do before you start? Were you already like an entrepreneur or was it your first thing? I've, I've always been entrepreneurial, uh, also as a, as a kid. 
I, I did study, right? So you have these stories of people that were dropouts and started a company. Then you actually had to talk to uh, to my co-founders. Uh, they were exactly like this. I did graduate and um, I worked for four years in consulting. Uh, but then I uh, yeah, started my first company and I got hired by the Rabel Bank as a consultant to run some projects in the payments uh, world. Mm-hmm. That went quite well. But then again, working for yourself or uh, let let the big corporates hire you is something different than, than start a company with uh, eventually more people can work in and that you can really grow. So um, uh, so I was, I always worked in finance. So my consulting jobs uh, were uh, for the banks. I worked at the ABN Emerald Bank uh, and the Rebel Bank. I've seen the Royal Bank of Scotland from within and also the former Fortis Bank, which migrated into ABN Emerald. So I've, I've been there, I've seen all that. Um, so I always had a great connection with, with the finance sector, right? The FinTech. I think that's also the combination of the entrepreneurial mindset, the experience in the financial markets that also led to the to the foundation of uh, Outlin. Right. Yeah, that, that's really interesting because like this is also what uh, the, what I heard on the other talk that like it seems like most of the today's uh, successful entrepreneurs, like well, a lot of them, it's not the first company that they are doing. We just normally, we don't always know that they also like founded something else and failed. And then this was like the second or the third attempt that actually went good. So do you think this, uh, this is actually true? Like the best way to learn the entrepreneurial mindset, learn the entrepreneurial ropes is to actually try and fail? Yeah, <laughs> not necessarily fail, but trial and error. I, I truly believe in that. I think um, if I take a look and I had that company for only a year, right? And it was, uh, 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 but if you take a look at all the stuff that I've learned over the course of the last seven, eight years with Aulin, if I had to do all this again, I could do that so much faster, so much better. That's 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 how this works, right? So so in the beginning, everything is new. Uh, you build up a lot of knowledge. You build up a lot of experience. I think um, uh, even so, for all the entrepreneurs out there, if you just started, enjoy the ride because uh, you will learn a lot of new things. Uh, you will make a lot of mistakes. But just if you are have an open mind and, and make sure that you are honest about your own mistakes, at least to yourself, then that's the best way to learn. And then just just draw your learnings. And if you feel, you feel, and then start over again and then do it better, faster and, uh, th- th- than before. I, I truly believe that, uh, that, the, the, that there are so many examples of great entrepreneurs that, uh, and a very few examples of great entrepreneurs that, that were right immediately the first time. Right. Okay. I think this is a great uh, way to to finish this conversation. Sure. Thank you so much for uh, joining uh, this episode. Thanks a lot for taking the time and uh, good luck uh, with everything you're doing at Allen. Thanks, Henry. I really enjoyed uh, being here. Thanks. And this is it for our today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you like our show, follow us today wherever you listen to podcasts. And if that place has a possibility to rate and review the show, please do that as well. Our audio engineer is designed by SoundPulse, that is sound-pulse.com. Your questions, suggestions, and opinions are very welcome. Please send them to podcast at tech.eu. This was TechEU Podcast. I am Andrew Daigler, and I will talk to you again very soon. For now, take care and enjoy the rest of your week. Bye-bye. <laughs>